only posers don't listen. Sarah doesn't want to sing it along with, with the the intro. She never does. No, just I sometimes, feel, just once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> we were. What is it? You dropped a, a very hilarious joke before we started this because we were trying to think of an intro, and she was like, "Oh, don't think too hard. I can see smoke coming out of your ears," <laughs> and I was like, "That's such a dad joke." My and dad I, told me I have more dad jokes than he does. I love that joke. It's a good dad joke. Uh, what did, you, is it? did you hear about the guy that got his left side cut off? <laughs> no. He's all right. <laughs> That's a great intro. See, we did a great job. Uh, what is it? Yeah, so as you guys know, this is uh, Only Posers Don't Listen to Podcasts. I am your host, Matthew Gironi. With me is my co-host and our historian, uh, Sarah, mm-hmm. <laughs> she agrees. Yes, that, yes. <laughs> that, that she's here. Uh, that's about it. Uh, what is it? So today is part two, I guess, a little bit of the history thing we were doing uh, last week. Yes, so we did the Union Hotel last week, mostly to warm up to do this. What we're doing this week? Yeah, to kind of get to this, uh, kind of did pretty much like. What you kind of like in history. And Which it, is architecture. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of talked about the building that is it plays a role in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it plays a small role. Not a really small role. It's, it's kind of significant in, in a sense. It's just not part of the main story. Uh, but either way, it all happens in New Jersey. So yeah. that's, that's relevant to what's going on. We're going to be talking about the uh, what some people call... The crime, uh, the trial of the century, also known as the Lindbergh kidnapping. Or the Lindbergh trial. Or the Lindbergh trial, uh, which took place all right here in New Jersey. Uh, what do you call it? On uh, Do you want to start us off? Sure. Okay, so on March 1st, 1932, Charles August, Augustus Lindbergh Jr., the 20-month old son of aviator Charles Lindbergh and Anna Morrow Lindbergh was kidnapped from his crib on the upper floor of their home in Heightfields in East Amwell, New Jersey. What is it? Okay. What was that word again? The son of uh, an... Uh, aviator. Aviator. Like, That's a fancy word for pilot. <laughs> like aviators because people were their aviators. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sunglasses. It's a fancy <laughs> word for pilot. This guy, Charles Lindbergh, Okay, the best way to describe him is at, like, their level of fame at that time is I compared them to Jay-Z and Beyonce. Like, they are two people who are a couple Mm -hmm. that people really love and they obsess over. Kind of like Brad Pitt and... uh, Angelina. Yeah, yeah. Mm Kind of like them. They obsess over their kids. They cared about, like, what they named their kids. Very similar kind of vibe. But kind of the first people that America had like that, like the first real American heroes like that. Mm -hmm. And what he's known for uh, most significantly is in 1927, he flew from New Jersey to Paris and one flight. Yes. That I forget that, like how recent flight is, like the ability to get on a plane and go wherever Mm -hmm. you want. And how that's like really only in the 60s to the 70s <laughs> that they really modernize that. And now we just take it for granted. And these people are for the first time. It took them like 33 hours or something like that. And like one of those little fucking planes. 
Um, but yeah, he did that. And uh, I he, all I really found out about his wife was that she was in some way famous before that. I don't know if she came from famous people or she was mm-hmm. an actress or something. But she was well known for before that. And then when they dated, he taught her how to how to be a pilot. And then she became famous for that. That's pretty cool. I mean, these days when you're dating someone, you teach them how to drive stick. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> like, he taught her how to be a crazy pilot, too. That's crazy. And uh, then they got married. I think they had another kid prior to this child. Mm-hmm. I think they had a kid before this child. But this child significantly, uh, his the child that had, it must have been a girl. They must have had a girl before that, I think. I, I didn't see anything. I've never seen. Anything. They definitely had another uh, child. Mm-hmm. Uh, they de- maybe even after. I'm not. I don't remember exactly, but uh, this child significantly was way more popular. You know. Yes. So they. So this child got kidnapped on March first, nineteen thirty-two, and after realizing their child was gone, a search of the premise was. Immediately made, and a crudely handwritten ransom note demanding 50000 was found on the nursery window sill, as well as a three-piece homemade ladder to get to the second-story bedroom window where the baby slept, which was still leaning against the building. After the Hopewell police were notified, the report was telephoned to the New Jersey State Police, who assumed charge of the investigation. Now, the timeline is pretty crucial here. Um... Charles, the father, was the last one to see the child around 7.30 p.m., mm-hmm. okay? Now, he w- they were all in the house, the mother, the father, and there was a few keepers, like a nanny and like a butler of some sort, mm-hmm. um, or like housemaids or something of that, yeah. that sort. Um, Stuff rich people have. So they're in, the, they're in the house, they're all just not with the child. And then later that night, a little after 10 p.m., the nanny went to kind of do her, like, last rounds. And the nanny's name was Betty, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Gro? Go. Go? Go. It's G-O-W. Okay. Well, Betty Go uh, came and checked on the baby and found that the window was open. And she went to go close the window because she was worried the baby would get a cold or something. And when she closed the window, she realized the baby was gone. She could see that there was no mm-hmm. baby in the crib. So she went immediately to go find the mother, thinking the mother must have taken the baby out of the crib. Mm-hmm. And she shouted to the mother, kind of a little frightened, like, Miss um, Lindbergh, she, they famously said this, like, Miss Lindbergh, is the child with you? And, and she was just getting out of the bath. And she was like, no, of course not. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm getting out of the bath. And they were like, uh-oh. And Lindbergh immediately, Charles immediately ran outside with a gun and ran around the premises, found the ladder, found the the blanket that the baby was wrapped in in the crib. Um, Mm -hmm. And he was the one that turned that stuff over to the authorities. Mr. Lindbergh. Yeah, Mr. Lindbergh. Okay. Um, And then as you were saying... That after this happens, that he contacted any influence? Oh, uh, what is it? Yeah, so after this whole situation, when when Lindbergh... Uh, Lindbergh they, they went back and they looked at the letter 
they also talked about that too. The letter being misspelled. Did we talk about that? Like it was misspelled. It was it was handwritten. It was like kind of shitty. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they determined that Lindbergh first was the first one to see it, but he determined that probably a German uh, uh, wrote it because it must have been their native language based on the handwriting and the misspelling. Mm-hmm. Then he went and Charles Lindbergh went and used his fame and his influence to kind of basically influence the whole investigation and there were rumors that he even reached out to mafioso like criminal uh syndicates and even al capone offered from jail to help find the baby if he was given parole and released they had some other uh famous um gangsters reach out uh what is this guy's name willie mm-hmm. mortell willie mortelli mortelli willie mortelli joe Adonis. Adonis. (laughs) Murdering these names. Uh, But they were, I guess, I guess famous mobsters at the time because they they named them by name when they said it. But they wrote out to them or told guards like, oh, I know some connects. I'll find the baby. Mm Because that's how famous he was. And this was all in jail. And obviously they were denied. Uh, But it's kind of part of what starts. We'll talk about a little later. The conspiracy stuff. Um, also at the time of the kidnapping, uh, kidnapping wasn't, um, it wasn't a federal offense. So like kidnapping somebody wasn't that big of a crime at the time. It wasn't a big deal. So they didn't look at it and you didn't get as much resources. So this was like kind of a rare situation where they were getting help from the government because really it was kind of just like your local authorities were left to, to deal with it. Yeah, okay. The Lindberghs continued to receive ransom notes from people who claimed to be the kidnappers, eventually dubbing one person, John Condon, the correspondent between the kidnappers and the Lindbergh family. Condon had put an article out in a local paper offering the kidnappers a 1,000 to turn the child over to a Catholic priest. From that article was later contacted by the so-called kidnappers, to be the middleman between the Lindberghs and them. So basically people were so worked up over this case and so horrified by the concept of somebody just stealing their child, everyday people were writing into the paper trying to solve the situation. Like that's that's essentially what we have. And then the kidnappers actually take this a- a situation as an advantage for themselves and just pick a person... <laughs> Out of the paper yeah. to be a middleman. And a, the person they, they kind of pick, I, I mean, we'll discuss this in a minute, but like they said he was like a popular Brooklyn resident. I don't know what that means. They also said he was a retired English teacher, but like I'm assuming like maybe he worked in the community and a lot of people knew him. Yeah, he's and, probably very well known. Yeah, or like they all had him as a teacher at some point mm-hmm. because it just did, that didn't make sense to me. I expected him to be like a radio host or something like that, mm-hmm. you know? The Lindberghs and Condon received several ransom notes from the kidnappers discussing and planning out where the money and child would be exchanged. Following the kidnappers' latest instructions, Condon put a classified ad in the New York American reading saying money is ready, written under the name Jaffsie, which is J-A-F-S-I-E. Yeah, very weird. Condon then waited for further instructions. That's the coolest part. 
That is definitely the coolest part. The meeting between the kidnappers and Condon took place in Woodlands, Woodland Cemetery in the Bronx. According to Condon, he met a man who spoke broken English, who appeared to be the to be foreign, and who referred to himself as John. The media later naming him Cemetery John. Cemetery John kept his distance from Condon to hide his appearance, appearance and stood in the shadows. After several questionings, he admitted to being part of a group of three men and two women who had kidnapped the child. They said the child was being held on a boat and was unharmed and would be returned after receiving the ransom. To prove that they had the child, it was asked that they send the child's sleeping outfit that was later mailed to them on March 16th with several other ransom notes. So some random guy who feels bad for Lindbergh is now the middleman for the kidnappers in the family. <laughs> He had to go meet one of the kidnappers in a freaking cemetery in the middle of the night. So he just risked his life, like, out of nowhere, like... <laughs> it seems very bizarre, but people were... If if you explain to people and know a little bit about the time, people were really that moved and that horrified by this. And they really did like Lindbergh. They thought, thought of him as, like, some kind of American hero. Mm -hmm. There were even songs that I found online that were like, Lindbergh, he's our American eagle. You know, like, pe people were, like, really hyped on this dude. <laughs> so, like... It was it was ridiculous how big this was, and I think that during that time it's so different for us because we get media thrown at us. It's easy mm -hmm. to be like, I ignore it. You know, there are just people that don't have social media mm -hmm. or don't watch the news. They don't care, and they 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 obsess over the things they obsess over. You know, they'll know what Transformers coming out next month, or you know what Comic Con is coming. You yeah. know, or they'll know you know what horror movies dropping this week or something, something like that. But they, they don't know things like this. And back then, it was like you couldn't escape it. You know, I mm -hmm. I think that's an odd thing because I feel that way a little bit about when I was younger. Like media was different. Where if something was going on in the media, like I remember when American Idol came out, like I couldn't ignore that that was a show. Like yeah. I couldn't just, where I'm sure there are people like now where you're like, oh, you know what the voice is? They'd be like, what the fuck is that? You know, like, well, I only know what the voice is because they advertise it on Hulu, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So the, um, the China steal the money. Oh, wait. Yeah, okay, we're, we're fucking up. <laughs> and then this guy pretty much convinces one of, one of the people to just fill a, sh a ship and puts all these chains in China, steals the money. And the, but I don't know what I wrote here. <laughs> it's but, okay. But after agreeing and the money's... Yeah, I, I don't really understand what I'm saying here and what I wrote. But basically what I think I was trying to get across is how ridiculous it is. That this guy wrote into the paper, now is in the middleman, now is in the middle of a cemetery, negotiating mm -hmm. with one of the, uh, the people. Is going back and forth about what they should do. He doesn't even think it's them. Mm -hmm. He's been telling the Lindberghs the whole time, like, I think these people are taking advantage of this whole conspiracy. Um, but yeah, they agree to, to mail the... the they agree to exchange the money for the baby and that he's going to mail the, the clothes to approve it. So after the baby's clothes were mailed, they posted another ad in Home News saying, the money is ready, no cops, 
No Secret Service. Come alone like last time. Hi, Professor. <laughs> My professor's part of the podcast. <laughs> On April 1st, they received a letter saying it is time to receive the ransom delivery. Okay. It's just crazy how kidnappers can use the media like this in this situation to take advantage of like people's craziness allowed them to send messages through ads in the paper it's my favorite part of the story it is like yeah my you know yeah like i just have like they just put this in the newspaper that's super that was my favorite like little interesting fact about the story is that they were putting messages through the paper if you hear noise right now it's because professor my cat (laughs) is like attacking the phone because he wants to sit on it because it's warm yeah and that is how we're recording and because he wants our attention (laughs) yeah that too the ransom was placed in a, a wooden box that was custom made in hopes that it would be later identified. Gold certificates were about to be withdrawn from circulation, so the ransom included a few in hopes that they would be able to draw attention to anyone spending them or trading them in. The bills were not marked, but the serial numbers were recorded. On April 2nd, John Condon went back to the cemetery and met Cemetery John again, telling him that they could only raise 50000 in which he agreed and accepted the money, giving Condon a small note saying that the child was in the care of two innocent women. Okay. They never get the child back from this incident. All right? They go through all this bullshit with these people that they don't even know if they're the kidnappers or or not. And it just seems like the people just took advantage of the situation. And... It went, o- it went on for over a month. It, it went, this is on, yeah, this is over a month now where these people don't know what's going on with their child. Mm-hmm. Like their child was in bed and now it's gone. And they've been dealing with kidnappers every day trying to get the child back. And then all of a sudden they, you know, they they don't have anything now. They just have yeah. a note. And the, the, basically the cops are fucked now. Yeah. You know, they don't have anything. On May 12th, a delivery truck named Orville Winson, Wilson and his assistant William Allen pulled off to the side of the road about four and a half miles south of the Lindbergh home near ha- Hamlet of Mount Rose in the neighborhood, in the neighboring Hopewell Township. When one of the men went into the grove of trees to relieve himself, he found the body of the toddler. They immediately notified the authorities, and the authorities took the body to a morgue in Trent, New Jersey. The skull was badly fractured and the body decomposed, clearly being chewed on by animals over the two months that the body sat in the woods. It was believed that the child died the night of the kidnapping two months prior, as well it's believed the blow to the child's head is what killed him. So this whole time that they've been looking for the child, it's been dead. Yeah. It's most like they they and they said right away that the child died the night of it. So it doesn't really matter how many people were involved. Mm-hmm. Now there was a little speculation on why that like if they if they killed the baby purposely that night mm-hmm. or if the baby accidentally died in their escape because they felt like somebody might have fallen off the ladder and that's why they left the uh, blanket mm-hmm. for the baby and then they just took the body with them to h- later hide it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because, and then they also brought up this, that they might have planned to kill the baby all along that night because it's just a lot easier to kill the baby that night and then say they're going to give the ransom back than it is to hold the child the whole time and feed it and keep it quiet and nobody notice it when the whole world is looking for this kid. The thing also that interests me now that we're talking about this is the fact that it wasn't buried because he wouldn't have found it if it was buried. No, he wouldn't have. And I I think that that makes it more likely that they accidentally killed the child. Mm -hmm. That they Because it would have made more sense that if they were going to kill the baby, they would have waited a little while. Yeah, and they would have buried it so it was hidden. Yeah, they would have hid the, the body better. I think that they panicked. Mm-hmm. They killed the child in the in, in the travel, or or, or or and then they they ditched and they just ran because even in the later scenarios that we're going to bring up, this is kind of part of my argument of why I don't I don't think I don't believe a lot of the conspiracy. But we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> in June of 1932, officials began to suspect that the crime may have been an inside job perpetrated by one of the helpers at the Lindbergh family home. Their suspicion fell upon a British British household servant, Violet Sharp. During questioning, she became very nervous and suspicious, and when authorities came to her house for further questions a ninth time, she locked herself into a room and committed suicide on June 10, 1932. They even considered John Condon a possible suspect and searched his home, not finding anything that would connect him to the crime. During this time, Charles Lindbergh stood by his side. Condon worked with the investigation unofficially for the next two years, pleading that he would catch and find Cemetery John. Okay. So at this point, everybody feels fucked. They got screwed out of $5,000. They didn't find the kid. Now they find the whole time, literally, the kid was dead five miles, less than five miles down the road from their house. Like, they're, you know, like, and there's no, there's really, like, what are the investigators supposed to do now? Like, they don't yeah. know. It's almost like they got away with it. Yeah, like, they, they have nothing now. Yeah, pretty much. Investigators stood on a standstill and attempted to start tracking the ransom money. They found several bills scattered throughout New York City and some as far as Chicago. The gold certificates deadline to be exchanged for other bills was on May 1st, 1933. A few days before the deadline, a man brought $2,980 to a Manhattan bank to exchange. It was later realized that the bills were from the ransom money. He gave the name of J.J. Faulkner of 537 West 149th Street in the Bronx. When the authorities went to the address, they could not find anyone who had lived there under that name. There was a woman named Jane with with the similar last name but she denied any involvement and had lived there for the past 20 years. Yeah, she had the same last name, but she didn't know who it was, and she lived there for a long time, so she did, they couldn't prove anything. So basically, at this point, the cops are just doing anything they can to find the kidnappers. They fucking feel st- super scorned. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to track down the money because that's the only option they really have, you know, and it's getting spread all over the country, mm-hmm. you know? On September 18, 1934, a man gave a gas station attendant a gold certificate that must have been from the ransom money. The gas attendant felt that the man was very suspicious and was worried that the money may have been counterfeit, considering the bills were just being taken out of circulation. He wrote the man's license plate number down on the bill and was informed, informed the authorities. The owner of the license plate was a Bruno Richard Hoffman, a German-born carpenter. 
who went to jail in Germany several times and escaped from prison and stowed away in a ship and lied his way through immigration to get into this country. When arrested, he was found with a single $20 gold certificate bill on him, and in his garage he had over $14,000 of the ransom money. He was arrested, interrogated, and beaten at least once throughout that following day and night. He claimed that several items in the house, including the money, were left to him by a friend and business partner, Isidore Fishk. You did a good job. That was our <laughs> name. Fishk had died on March 29, 1934, shortly after returning to Germany. Hoffman claims he had nothing to do with the kidnapping. He also claimed that the money went to him from that guy because of old business dealings mm -hmm. with his old friend that he never paid him off in. Uh, so this guy's got a pretty bad record. In Germany, he used to rob houses. He even, according one time, him and another guy held two ladies at gunpoint who are walking with baby carriages, so they had children with them. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it? Uh, the One of the main reasons they considered him a suspect just because of the woodworking skills he had where he could have easily made the ladder. He... But but the fact that he had broken into several homes in Germany using a ladder by entering the second floor, mm -hmm. and uh, the as well as the situation where he held up the women at gunpoint by putting the babies in je jeopardy because he basically pointed the gun at the children, you know. Um, one of the authorities searched his home. They found several other items connecting him to the crime, like plans to make a ladder that looked very similar to the ladder used in the crime. He also had the number and address for, Gon, for John Condon, but one of the most significant pieces of evidence was they, prov they proved that the wood for the ladder must have come from the attic floor of Hoffman's house. Okay, I sent you one of these videos and I highly recommend you look them up, but basically you can go on YouTube and there's footage from 1934 of interviews with his wife. And, and there's even uh, and parts of the crime where they show details. They talk about the wood in his attic. And then there's another one. It's real one and real two. And, this, and the second real is them actually in the courtroom mm -hmm. seeing all the people. It's insane. And it was you, really cool. And you can even see the, like, the streets and stuff a little bit on the main street in mm -hmm. uh, Flemington and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool, too. Hoffman was charged with capital murder, which means if convicted, results in the death penalty. The trial was held at Hunter and County Courthouse in Flemington, New Jersey, which is still around, and was dubbed the trial of the century. As reporters swarmed to the little town, every hotel room was booked, including the Union Hotel, where most of the reporters stayed during the trial, and the jury even had their recesses and lunch there. And this is where the Union Hotel comes into the story, kind of. You know, we kind of covered it last week because they're they're going to take it down. And or, the main reason that most people want to save it is this is like their historical reason is because it was used during this trial. Yeah, people d discuss stuff there. They had their lunches there. Like all the people stayed there and it was kind of part of it. And it is a, a pretty building, you know? Yeah, yeah. The um, courthouse is across from it, and that's really pretty, too. Yeah, that's a huge building. It kind of looks like cliche courthouse. Yeah. So it's very cool. Just to get the rights to publish Hoffman's story in the newspaper, Edward J. Riley was hired by the New York Daily Mirror to, save, to serve as his attorney. The evidence against him included $20,000 in ransom money found in his garage and home, and the testimonial 
alleging, alleging the handwriting and spelling similarities found in the ransom note. They even had a specialist come in to analyze the wood from the ladder. Using specialists and photographic evidence, they determined that the wood was used to make the ladder for the kidnapping came from Hoffman's attic that probably became the most crucial piece of evidence against him. The trial lasted from January 2nd to February 13th, 1935. Hoffman was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. He was later executed by the electric chair in New Jersey State Prison on April 3rd, 1936. One of the most... <laughs> We're laughing at my cat. He's trying to sleep on the phone. <laughs> One of the most significant parts of this whole story is the making of the Lindbergh Law that changed kidnapping from a state law to a federal offense. Yeah, and that what is it? The, the, the overwhelming evidence, really, there was no argument for this dude, and they put him to death. Uh, he claimed his innocence till the day he was executed... And there are a lot of uh, conspiracy theories that we're about to get into uh, that is kind of the funnest part of this story about his, that, you know, basically trying to prove his innocence and trying to say other people did it or he was involved, but he had accomplices that I think makes the most sense. Uh, but the only, there's only one part that doesn't make sense, uh, but we'll get into that in just a minute. The biggest conspiracy theories stem from the lack of confidence in the police work and the fact that Charles Lindbergh had such an influential role in, in the investigation. There are several books claiming Hoffman's innocence and even more alternative conspiracy theories. Okay, so now we're going to get into the nitty gritty. All right. So you guys now know kind of the basic story. We've set up the, the concept of this basic story of what happened with the Lindberghs kind of in a storyline. Uh, and who ended up going to jail and dying for this. Um, I personally think he was involved. I, I'm going to say that right away. I think he was involved. Um, it makes a lot of sense. The evidence was kind of overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I really can't see how it would have been somebody else unless it was just perfectly set up to be that way. And the guy wanted to die. But it also doesn't make sense that if he wanted to die, I would see him saying, confessing, and just making up some fake names of other people that helped him. Yeah. You know, and then going, like, that's the part that doesn't make sense to me, it, it is both him not confessing and him confessing. Uh, like, not, like, him confessing would have been more realistic. I would have thought if he made up some fake names, they never found those people. But yeah. at the same time, him saying he's innocent the whole time, that's kind of weird too. I don't know. It's all weird. But the, the the wood was from his house. He has a track record. It's just like, it makes too much sense. The Lindbergh stuff makes a little bit of sense though. I mean, Lindbergh, he was this huge, like, this huge person at that time. And he was a huge narcissist because he was a very pretty man. He was a good. He was considered very handsome. He was. You he could was. see pictures of him, so yes. you could decide for yourself. And then he had this child that, if you watch the videos of it, they're apparently from early on in the child's life and nowhere clear, nowhere close to when the child was murdered. And apparently he was deformed. I don't remember specifically 
what about him? They said something about his toe being deformed, and that was part of how they identified the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, his face never, like his skull was never hard, never fully hardened. Yes, hardened. his skull full, didn't fully harden after a year. And a bunch of, like there was other stuff, but the fact that this narcissist had a child that wasn't perfect, that was murdered, that's like what mainly thinks that well, the it. big conspiracy behind why the, the 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 thing you have to believe to believe that Charles Lindbergh killed his son is the stuff that I think doesn't make sense because it doesn't really come until later. Mm-hmm. He was a eugenist. He was a Nazi. Yes. He was a real Nazi. Like after this whole situation with his child dying and the whole. Uh, um, you know, trial and everything. He moves with his family to Germany. No, the first they moved to Europe, then they moved to Germany, mm-hmm. and that's basically when uh, the Germans rise, the Nazis rise in Germany and stuff. And he becomes a high-ranking member of the Nazi Party because he believes in eugenics, mm-hmm. and that's basically the belief system of Nazis, where you're got to have this pure blood and it's got, you know, raising you to Aryan blood and certain bloodlines are lesser than others. It's bullshit. It's bullshit Mm -hmm. fucking science that idiots made up fucking, uh, I don't even know how long ago. They're morons, you know, and it's been disproven thousands of times. Mm -hmm. But looking into that stuff is very interesting because it was considered credible science for a small period of time that allowed Nazis to rise to the power they did. And he, he was part of that belief structure. But I don't think that he was really introduced to it until later. It's possible maybe once he found out about it, he like latched onto it because of the fact he had an imperfect child. I think that it's possible to think, because they said it was very well, that they said that it might have been a, a scam where the child was being taken away mm-hmm. and the child was eventually going to end up in like a home or something like that mm-hmm. because that was commonly done to to disabled children and and wealthy families is they would basically just send the child somewhere because they didn't want to deal with it or be embarrassed by it because people didn't really quite understand stuff like that like we do now mm-hmm. you know you had also said that Lindbergh found most of the evidence that's the see the parts of the the trial like why i understand but you said he's a narcissist yeah and people hated the cops back then because it was the fucking depression so i can guarantee a narcissist gets his kids stolen he's like i'll solve the case Uh you know i can see him being that way like i found this letter (laughs) i found this case they did it this way you know like i just see him trying to play fucking batman that is true yeah and, and telling people what to do and because because he was considered such a hero and a famous person back at a time where that really meant something. Mm-hmm. People being like, fucking Charles Lindbergh told me to do something. I'm going to fucking do it. You know, like I can kind of see that, you know, to the point where like even other famous people at the time, like Al Capone are writing letters and trying to contact him from prison being like, I'll help you through my dark influences. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just, it, it it's, People don't understand there weren't even that many celebrities. There are, you know, there weren't even that many people that even, like, nobody know. like, we know Charles Lindbergh pretty much because of this case, or mm-hmm. we're talking about him or like that. What he did was way more amazing than what happened to him. Yeah. But we don't really care that much because it's just, it, it, you know, to us, planes are not that big of a deal nowadays. You know, we all have been in a plane, or a lot of people have been in a plane, mm-hmm. or at least know people do 
ride in planes. It's not a big it's deal. It's common. It's very common. You can yeah. book. I literally had a friend tell me about how to book a flight today because I want to, you know, we were discussing going to punk rock bowling, like mm-hmm. a bunch of us. And I was thinking about going. Uh, I haven't decided yet. But either way, they were saying, like, book your flight on a Monday or Tuesday because Saturdays, and, you know, they're way more expensive mm-hmm. and all these other things they were telling me. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and they were saying that it's not even that much to go to Vegas and like cheap flights. These this is the dude that fucking paved the way for even flying, mm-hmm. you know, like, and his son is randomly kidnapped and murdered or eventually you find out it's murdered. Yeah. You know, his child. I understand why people make up the conspiracies. I mean, there was obviously hit that that housemaid had something to do with. My dad had also, when I was discussing with my dad last night, he said, well, how'd they know which room to go into? And I was thinking probably somebody that worked in the house. Well, they knew that. And that's that's obviously that happened. They t- mm-hmm. She got tipped on because they didn't, they weren't, they don't even stay at that house usually. That That's like one of their other homes. Mm-hmm. So the only reason they would have even known, they would have had to have talked to somebody in the, the know because they decided that last minute. And even, and here's the part that makes Lindbergh look bad. Mr. Lindbergh wasn't even supposed to be there then. Charles Lindbergh had like a speaking you know, because they did like, you know, speeches because he was a famous student and people would pay him to speak. Yeah. And he was supposed to do a speeching engagement in like, I think in Jersey City or in the in the city, something like that. And he didn't go. He decided not to go. Yeah. And that was kind of part of the thing that made him look bad, too. You know, because they thought that maybe he had stayed home to to negotiate the mm-hmm. uh, the the kidnapping to make sure it all went good and to keep other people away from the room. You know, yeah, that could make somewhat sense. I mean, it all makes sense in a in a way, but uh, it all seems circumstantial. It, like I don't know why I'd want to kill his kid. It just seems like, I it seems to me I just can't wrap my mind around that being the reason you kill your kid. So that's why it's hard for me to believe it. Yeah, I mean, we'll never know though. No, we won't. But the dude was a fucking Nazi. He was a Nazi. <laughs> it's weird that he was like a fucking American hero first. Mm-hmm. And did something, and everyone was like, Arr! and then he went off and was like, I'm going to be a Nazi now. And it's funny to think that during that time, that he might, like, nobody knew that Nazis were going to be the fucking basis for supervillains. Uh-huh. You know, like, because that's basically what Nazis became. They they taught us what a supervillain can be. <laughs> you know, like, they gave us that idea. And, uh, you know, they, you know, to think that during the time it was like a political party mm-hmm. in Germany. People yeah. didn't realize the the evilness of what, and he had like a very successful life after that too, even after the war, and when they lost and stuff, he went and lived in Europe or France or something like that after that and died years later, like no big deal, you know. What a fucking life! Yeah, really. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn life, Charles Lindbergh. You, you, tra- you travel you travel across the world. You're basically the Jay Z of your time. Uh-huh. You have a kid who gets kidnapped. You fucking lead the fucking trial then you go off and be a nazi that wasn't cool <laughs> and then you live your the rest of your life in peace like oh that didn't work out no big deal yeah like no, nothing serious happened just gonna you know go finish out my life somewhere yeah so that's the story of uh that's the, that's the, charles Lindbergh. that's charles Lindbergh <laughs> and the the whole trial and it all happened in new jersey except for the nazi shit because yeah. you know we don't we don't tolerate that fucking no, bullshit we don't but as someone that lives like half an hour away from that courthouse, I grew up hearing about it, like mentioned all the time. I've heard about it before. I definitely mm-hmm. heard about it. I, I've seen things. Uh, they make jokes in The Simpsons about it. 
Mm-hmm. He's like, I am the Lindbergh baby. <laughs> and there's and there's a joke in Big Daddy. We were talking to somebody about it. And they were mm-hmm. like, oh, in the movie Big Daddy, he walks up. He goes, what do I, what happens? What do I do if I found out that I'm the Lindbergh baby? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's like a weird little quotes like that in movies and shows that I've heard it my whole life. And it's weird. It just happened in, right by your house. Yeah. And uh, growing up, I had a history teacher in like, I think like eighth grade that I specifically remember him saying this about this child, that it was a big deal that, like, the child's room was in a different county than the rest of the house or something like that. But I didn't come across that anywhere. I didn't we see anything this. like that. Yeah. yeah. I know that it was a time period because up until, like, the 80s, people didn't, like, cops didn't work together. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of a rare situation where people were trying to work together and, like, do whatever they could, pull the resources. Even the government wasn't supposed to really be involved. They had to, like, the, the president had to appoint. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, I think it was Henry Hoover yeah. at that time. So, uh, yeah, I think he was the president at the time. I think I read that. But he appointed, uh, the like, some group to the National Guard to come down and help the local cops. Mm-hmm. Because to give them federal aid. Hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's a pretty crazy story. Uh, what is it? We're going to do more stuff like this. Yes. But we're going to try to keep it a little more New Jersey based, keep it a little more punk rock. We're going to start with New Jersey. Yeah. And then get spread out. We like to cover people that we think are super punk rock that aren't punk rockers. Yeah. Uh, One, two people that we're going to cover that I'm really excited about are Abbott and Costello. And if you haven't know who Abbott and Costello are, you should go look them up because we're going to cover them and Mm -hmm. their movies hold up. To this yeah. day, we watched one, uh, and I have all of them, and I grew up on them because I love them. And uh, what is it? It's going to be really good. And Abbott is from fucking Asbury Park. Abbott, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, he's right from here, Bud Abbott. And he, there should be a statue built of him, <laughs> just like there's a statue of Costello where he's from Patterson. I think he's from Patterson. Uh, but either way, yeah, we're going to cover them. We're going to do some other people from New Jersey. We're going to do a series. Yeah, like a series of punk rock people and history from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to keep it up with the interviews. I know that we're talking to program right now. Uh, fuck it. Uh, fuck it, I quit. Fuck it, I quit. Hopefully soon. Um, few other bands and artists. Um, what is it? Ed is going to start picking up doing uh, advice again soon. Uh, we got more shows coming up. There's a show on Friday. Uh, what is it on? Uh, it's not Friday. It's a. Uh, it's on Thursday, I think. Thursday, yeah. Yeah, it's uh the the thirteenth, uh, February thirteenth, the night before Valentine's Day. There's a show at the bon- at Bond Street uh, Bar. Uh, was it free show at that one? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? Then we're doing our two year anniversary, two year anniversary show March twentieth. Uh, slash Alex's birthday. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what do you call it? Uh, what is she turning seventeen this year? Yeah, seventeen. All right, year. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, what do we got? Uh, um, I've got to think of the lineup that I totally set up. Um, victim of this crime. Uh, there's a band from the Bergs. I think they're called from AC. I, I think, think so. that. I think that's their name. I might be wrong. Uh, what is it? Diet Death. Uh, my friend's band. I think it's their first show. Um, uh, be- the best of the worst. Awesome Scott Core band. So good. And the Dusters. Uh, Nashad. Awesome people. 
uh, what is it? Yeah, so that's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, that's March twentieth at Asbury Park Brewery. Uh, two year anniversary. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. we're gonna maybe have some more announcements that by then. Um, trying to think of any of the other stuff we have brewing up. We're gonna do some more bullshit episodes. Yes. We're gonna try and record one of those tonight, actually, and uh, we'll have some more of those for you guys. We're gonna try and do a little of everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, more than just history. <laughs> yeah, we just want to get people into history like we love. Yeah, and it's yeah. good stories. It's good shit, man. And you sound like smart and shit when you're talking to people, and they're like, "Oh shit, why do you know that shit?" And I'm like, "Cause I'm not a fucking poser, bro. <laughs> I listen to only posers, and now I know history. All right. So you know that's how you gotta look at it. <laughs> All right. So is there anything else? Any other shout outs? Anything like that? Nope, that's it. I'd like to shout out your family for feeding me. Uh, when we recorded last episode, that was really good. When I went to your house in uh, Bumblefuck Nowhere, that I respect you and your father way more as punks for traveling as far as you do for uh, for shows. God damn. I also like that when I told you about the Union Hotel, you're like, that's cool and all, but I want to do what happened across the street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I knew as soon as I told you about the Union Hotel, you were going to find that. <laughs> yeah, because I found that right away. And I was like, yo, fuck this hotel, bro. They had this fucking crazy thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's that story i'm glad we got to get this together um i i take a lot of time i wrote five pages he did, he y- wrote yesterday a lot. please re- listen to this and get people to listen to it and stuff You're that to the end of it please yeah listen to this like just we'll go to back it. like now that you've listened to it go get your friends to listen to it because this is like important shit and it's kind of in- interesting it and is. it talks about all the other cool stuff we're gonna do and uh we have some real fun stuff uh, uh on store that we've been talking about and i'm i can't wait to show everybody mm, i don't want to i don't want to really blow blow the blow my gasket or you know anything before we really are done but uh yeah thanks guys for listening and uh thanks for always supporting us uh we'll see you at a show we'll see you around um let me uh see if i can uh think of anything else we have here i think that's about it i this was super interesting to research um I want to do more of this stuff, but I know people want to hear more interviews. And if there's anything you want to, you want covered in New Jersey, message us and tell us. Yeah, you can message us anytime on the Instagram is the best way to do it, but we can also take emails. So uh, I guess we'll talk to you guys next time. All right, bye.